Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. So we're going to continue this journey of, of finding rest for our souls this morning. And I just wanted to begin by saying I, I've been so blessed, so encouraged and so personally challenged by the conversations and just the things that, that God has been doing amongst us. I feel like by talking about it and, you know, we're certainly talking about it at home as well, kind of opened up two things. One is I'm probably more aware of some of the things that are going on in, in my heart and in my soul just because of the conversations we've been having and the things God is doing, and I can see some, some nods. Um, but also, because I'm more aware, perhaps, and we're talking about it, I find we're having more deliberate conversations about the things that are going on, um, whether that's after our gathering last Sunday or conversations during the week just at home, being able to have more conversations to open up around what is God doing, what is stirring inside of us, what are the, some of the things that we need to deal with, and I think that's, that's really important. Um, because we want to be a community that's having those conversations and is a space for, for God to, to do that. And so, you know, we're going to continue to use the, the illustration or the picture of the Israelites coming into the promised land as a picture of us coming into the promised land of, of rest in our souls. And picking up where we left off last week, Exodus 23, 29 to 30. And it says, I will not drive them out before you in a single year so that the land does not become desolate due to lack of attention and the wild animals of the field do not become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you have increased and are strong enough to take possession of the land. And we spoke last week about clearing the land and sometimes that's a a little by little process because God wants to allow us space to, to grow and to increase so that we can steward the freedom that he provides to possess the land that we come into. And it is this kind of step-by-step, little-by-little process. And, you know, the three kind of high-level steps in the journey that we've been talking about, first of all, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about surveying the land and just taking the time to look across our souls and see what's there. Last week, we talked about clearing the land. If we identify some things in our soul that perhaps shouldn't be there that need to be taken down and dismantled. How do we clear that land? And then today we're going to talk about possessing the land, rebuilding a house for the Lord in the space that we've cleared. And as I was thinking about those three things, survey the land, clear the land, possess the land, kind of reminded me almost of like a game that two brothers would play. I feel like Lucas and Joel would probably play that. You've kind of got Lucas spying out what Joel is doing and then coming in and clearing it and destroying it and knocking it over, demolishing it, and then deciding to, to rebuild his own thing while, while Joel runs off and, and is upset. But there's this kind of picture of, of two brothers or two, two boys just running around and playing where they play spies and then demolish something and knock something down and then rebuild something, something else. And, and in many ways, that's how we possess the land. It's, it's through inhabiting it. It's taking up residence in the land. It's building something for the Lord in the land that we have have cleared. You see, after we've cleared the land, it's really important that we actually take possession of it. We read from Matthew 12 last week, 
right, about if an unclean spirit leaves a man and then goes around trying to find rest and and if it comes back and finds the house swept and empty and in order, he goes and gets seven of his friends and comes back and the person is worse off than they were before. It's really important that if we want to be people who hold on to rest and remain in rest, that we learn how to possess the land of our souls. And so... Again, coming back off, off some of what I shared last Sunday, I mentioned a couple of passages from Isaiah 54, that picture of needing to, to clear out the land so we could enlarge our tents. Right? And, and it says in Isaiah 54, two to three, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations, speaking about clearing the land, and then settle in their desolate cities, possessing the land that is left. We need to clear the land before we can possess the land. And in order to possess it, as God says in Exodus 23, we need to go on this journey of of increasing and, and strengthening so that we're able to possess the land that's there. And that's what I want to look at this morning is kind of what, what does that what is that process of possessing the land, that process of increasing and strengthening and, and rebuilding something for the Lord? What does that look like practically? H- how do we build a house for God to take up residence in the land of our souls? What steps do we take to lay a healthy foundation? What steps do we take to make sure we're building the right kind of house, using the right materials? What does that look like? And I want to just jump down a few verses in that same passage in Isaiah 54 to verses 11 and 12. And this is God speaking to the Israelites, the people of God, at a time where they were in exile in Babylon. And God's saying, when you come back from exile into the promised land, these are the instructions I'm giving you in terms of how I'm going to rebuild the city. Isaiah 54, 11 to 12. And it says, O you afflicted city, storm-tossed and not comforted, listen carefully. I will set your precious stones in mortar, And lay your foundations with sapphires, and I will make your battlements of rubies, and your gates of beryl stones, and all your walls of precious stones. Depending on the translation you're looking at, there's different translations. I think some of the references and the words that were used for stones don't neatly tie into our understanding of the stones that are around today. So it might be a slightly different reference to a precious stone depending on the translation. But I read out of of the Amplified. And so God says there, oh, you afflicted city, storm-tossed and not comforted. And of course, he's speaking to Jerusalem that's, that's lying in ruins at the time of, of exile. But in many ways, I think perhaps for me at times and for us in different seasons, some of those words could probably also be descri- describing the state of our souls. Right? Afflicted and, and storm-tossed and, and battered around and, and not comforted and feeling like we're, we're struggling through that alone. This is a description of a soul that's not at rest. And God's response to that is that he gives very specific instructions on how he's going to rebuild the city in that place. He's telling the Israelites ultimately how to repossess the land, how to repossess the the promised land. And so I want to look at the specific instructions that God gives. and, And I pray that amongst that, there would be some keys that we can take away into our own lives around how we possess the land. And the instructions that God gives, I feel like are almost, you know, so specific. They're like Lego instructions on use these blocks for this part and use these types of blocks for 
for, for this thing. These stones over here sit here and these stones over there form this part. I was building Lego with Joel yesterday and trying to dig out different bits and pieces and was just thinking about in many ways, you know, you've got this type of block, you're looking for a, you know, this size and this color to, to build this part. And, and they're the type of instructions that God gives here. He says five different things. Set the stones in mortar. Lay the foundations with sapphires. The battlements are to be made of rubies. The gates of beryl stones. And then the walls are of precious stones. Isaiah 54 verses 11 to 12. And so as I said, we're going to dig into these and and see if we can learn some things. And I pray that God would stir some stuff in our hearts and help us be those that not only clear the land, but actually possess the land and are able to remain in that place of rest with God taking up residence in our souls. And turning first to, to setting stones in mortar, I find it actually quite interesting that, that the first thing God mentions is not building the wall. The first thing he mentions is not actually laying the foundation. The first thing he mentions is the, the material that's to be used to hold the stones together. And in thinking about that, you know, it's, it's true for, for our lives too. I think that we can have all the right stones, we can have the right building blocks in our lives, but unless we have enough mortar and enough of what's required to hold it all together, there's no point really starting to build, right? Because ultimately it's going to fall over as soon as the wind blows. And it's supply issues that, you know, we've seen play out all over the construction industry over the last few years. They haven't been able to get the cement or the mortar or, the, or whatever the material is, and so they don't proceed with construction. And that's the same in our lives. Unless we have enough of the supply of the mortar that we need to hold the city together, we're going to struggle to make any progress when it comes to rebuilding a house for the Lord. And so thinking about mortar and cement and that which holds things together and binds things together, what does that mean in the context of our relationship with the Lord and in our, in our souls? And I want to look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, Above all these things, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together perfectly. To me, that's so representative of what mortar or cement does. It's, it's binding something together, Colossians 3.14. And so I want to suggest that the very first step in rebuilding any house for God in our souls, in possessing that land again, is actually making sure that we've received our supply of love, that we've got the right mortar in place. Because a house for the Lord that's going to last in our souls needs to be bound together with love. It's not bound together with striving. It's not bound together with religious performance or expectation. It's not bound together through people pleasing or working for acceptance and approval. The way a house for the Lord is bound together is it's bound together in love. And so in the same way that we might need plenty of bags of mortar before you start laying bricks, we also need to make sure that we have our supply of love in our hearts before we look to start building in our souls. And the reality is, you know, I don't know about um, everyone else, but for me at times, receiving love and growing in our revelation of the love of God isn't always as easy and as straightforward as we might think it is. Right? Just because someone says God loves you or just because we read John 3.16 doesn't necessarily mean our hearts have a full revelation of, of the unconditional love of God 
for us. And depending on what we've got going on in our souls, the journey of clearing the land that we talked about last week, sometimes it can be difficult to actually receive love because of the summer things that, that we've walked through and experienced in the past. It might be difficult to actually trust someone who's saying that they love you because of circumstances and situations that we've, we've been through. We often lay our own filters, don't we, over the love of God and add these often additional conditions or additional performance requirements, thinking that he's disappointed with us if we don't do this or meet this religious expectation. So it's important that we take time to grow and deepen our revelation of God's love because that's the starting point for us to be able to build something that lasts. And so how do we grow in our, in our love supply? How do we grow in actually trusting God's love for us? Well, 1 John four nineteen it says, we love because he first loved us. Our love supply grows when our revelation of God's love for us increases. And so, you know, perhaps it's worth just thinking about and, and reflecting on your own internal response. If I turn to you and say, God loves you, how, do, how does that make us feel? What kind of response do we have? Do we have any response at all in our spirit, in our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions? If someone says, God loves you, how do we, how do we respond to that? Because ultimately, if we're growing in the love of God, yes, there's a deep spiritual truth, but the love of God should also begin impacting our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? We don't want it just to be head knowledge, but the way our mind works and our thoughts should be influenced by the love of God. We don't want it just to be an emotional response, but the love of God should at times be overwhelming and impacting our emotions. And, and so we want to be people who are allowing the love of God to fill us and grow inside of us. And I think, at least for me personally, the, the way I've tried to grow in that over my years, you know, very few years compared to some of you and the journey that, that you've been on with the Lord is, is meditating and reflecting and, and sitting in the truth of God's great unconditional love for me. So many amazing scriptures that speak about God's unconditional love for us, whether it's Romans 5, 5 and speaking about God's love that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Zephaniah three seventeen, you know, God takes great delight in us. He quiets us with his love and he rejoices over us with singing. I did the maths again yesterday for Psalm 139 that his thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand. I did it probably 10, 15 years ago and I, I checked the maths again yesterday that if, if we live to 100 and um, you kind of work out the maths on what scientists estimate is the, the number of grains of sand, he's thinking about us more than 2 billion times every single second that we're alive. And there is this outrageous love that he has for us because those thoughts are good, as Jeremiah tells us. Those thoughts are not him accusing us or having a go at us. That is thoughts of love and goodness and faithfulness and mercy towards us two billion times every single second that we're alive. And I think sometimes it's worthwhile just taking time to reflect and allow the depth of his love to touch us again. Because we can so quickly brush over scriptures or brush off something that someone says, but allowing that overwhelming love of God to touch our hearts again. You know, in many ways, he really is obsessed with us and infatuated with us. 
and whether we really have allowed that truth to touch our hearts. I've probably shared this before at different times, but I've been through different seasons in my life where I've felt like I've needed to remind myself more that God loves me. And so speaking to myself in the mirror or whatever it is throughout the day and saying, God loves Matt Darima. God is obsessed with me. And speaking that out loud often can help it go deeper into our hearts and taking the time to grow in God's love for us. And so when it comes to building a house for the Lord in our souls, love is the mortar that's going to hold it all together. And so we need to learn to trust in the love of God if we're going to build something the last, learn to, to receive that love. We need to be secure in his love for us, be sure of his unconditional love for us, because otherwise, if we're using the wrong mortar, if we're using the wrong cement to try and bind things together, sooner or later, the structure is going to crack and crumble and, and blow over. As you see in some of the developments, I think it's in Sydney over late, right? They, they haven't used the right cement or whatever it is, and you've got cracks running down the building. In the same way, we need to make sure that we are people who are growing in our revelation of the love of God, because that's what holds things together. It can't be built on striving. It can't be built on religion. While our self-effort might last for a little while, in the end, it's going to come undone. And so the first step is making sure we've got our supplies of mortar. We've got our supplies of love. We're growing in our revelation of God's love for us. And then we can look at actually beginning to build and get our hands dirty. And the next thing God says then is, We'll go ahead, we'll build a foundation with sapphires. A foundation with sapphires. And interestingly, the root word that's used for sapphire here, among other things, it means to, to recount or take account of. And one of the, the translations actually is to commune. So the word for sapphire can also be translated as commune. And I'm just going to, kind of get right to the point here because I think we'd all hopefully agree with this and scripture is really clear that the foundation of every building that is built for the Lord must be Jesus Christ and him alone. The foundation of everything is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 13 makes it very, very clear. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. I'm not sure you can say it any plainer. No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Our foundation is Jesus. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done and the fire will show if a person's work has any value. Very clearly that the foundation must be Jesus. You see, we can't build a, a lasting house for the Lord on anything other than Jesus Christ and, and him alone. We, we, we're not going to build a lasting house for the Lord just on memorizing a few scripture. We're not going to build a lasting house for the Lord just on a few passionate prayers. We're not going to build a lasting house for the Lord on a foundation of you know, some amazing emotional moments in worship. We're not going to build a lasting house for the Lord even on an amazing spiritual gift of healing and miracles or prophecy. We can only build a lasting house for the Lord on the intimacy and communion we have with Jesus. That's our foundation and everything is built from that place. And so 
it's probably worthwhile asking ourselves then that what is the foundation of our own Christian walk? What is the foundation of my faith in Jesus? What does my life with Jesus actually look like? Is it founded on this genuine desire to, to grow in my love for him and to become more like him? Or am I relating to him solely based on some kind of religious activity or religious exercise? Am I relating to him based on some emotional experiences that come and go? Or is this foundation of genuinely wanting to to grow in him? Am I relating to him based on wanting a particular answer to prayer or a particular breakthrough or a particular miracle rather than foundation being a desire to grow and get to know him more and more? Because the foundation of rest for our souls is Jesus and him alone. All right, coming back to maths again. <laughs> I don't know, Marley's been doing maths problems at home. Maybe it's kind of Im- impacted my preparation again. <laughs> but Jesus plus nothing is enough. Right? When it comes to, to the foundation of our lives, the foundation of, of, of what God is building in us, Jesus plus nothing is enough. And, and I love the way Jesus shares this in the invitation in Matthew 11 that we've mentioned so many times over the last few weeks. What does he say? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You see what he's saying here is come and be joined to me, learn from me. He's not saying learn my miracles. He's not saying learn my intellectual understanding. Not saying learn my prophecies. He's saying learn my heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. So we need to make space in our lives for Jesus to just be the one that we come to with no agenda other than just wanting to know him more and more and more. And of course, creating space and and making room to just come to Jesus to know him and him alone is easier said than done at times in the busyness of our lives. We have so many other things going on and oftentimes so many different competing Demands even in our own prayer time and time with the Lord, it can quickly become us wanting to come to him to see this changed and this shifted and, and this breakthrough rather than coming to him just to know him more and more. And so a couple of thoughts on that, and I'm sure others would have, have practical tips around this too. But, you know, I find when you sit down, sometimes your mind begins being filled with all of the other things that you need to do, your to-do list. Right? And, and so at times it can be helpful to write those things down or jot them down in your phone so you're not just continually thinking about those things and you've got them out of your head. I find at times for me personally, and, and Julie was sharing one of the, the, the moments of worship and, and a song that she came across this morning, just putting worship music on that is focused on Jesus. That isn't necessarily focused on the breakthrough. That isn't focused on whatever it might be, but actually worship music that focuses on him and him alone and, and seeking him. You know, Cody Cairns has a, a great song that has been on our kind of playlist and different playlists for me over probably the last few years. And it's called Nothing Else. It's a really great song. And one of the lines is, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And more than anything that you can do, I just want you. And it's this desire of wanting Jesus more than Cody Cairns. And the song's called Nothing Else. It is a really 
beautiful song. And again, just the heart for, for Jesus, wanting him to be our foundation more than anything else. And the other one that can be helpful, I think at times, is having communion as part of your personal devotional life at home, whatever that might look like. Because again, that's just bringing it back to, to Jesus and him alone, remembering who he is and what he has done. And so we have love as the, the mortar that holds it all together. And our foundation is, is communion, intimacy with Jesus and genuinely wanting to grow in him. And that passage from Isaiah 54, the next thing after the mortar and after the foundation of sapphires, it says he's going to build the battlements of rubies. There you go, a random question and seeing what people's medieval knowledge is like. Does anyone actually know what battlements are? <laughs> I didn't until I kind of looked it up as part of preparing for this. <laughs> Towers. Yeah. No, yeah, no, not quite like the Trojan horse kind of vibes. No. <laughs> it, mm. It, it, it apparently is the, the top part of a, of a tower or a wall where you see the kind of, you know, up and down. And, and it's deliberately designed to allow the, the soldiers or the warriors there to, to shoot at the enemy that's coming, but then also hide behind the wall. So the raised bits are there to protect them and then they can come out and, and shoot at the in, invading armies or the armies that are attacking. And so these, these battlements were... Interesting because they were there for protection, but also for attack. And so there were this kind of offensive form of defense to, to resist and push away the invading armies that were coming against the town, right? Walls just stand there and ultimately are, are just kind of defensive, trying to stop someone from getting in. But the battlements served an offensive purpose as well in actively resisting the army that was coming. They were shooting arrows or whatever the weapon of choice was at the time. And Isaiah 54 says that, that the battlements were to be made of rubies. And the word used for rubies, surprise, surprise, if you know your precious stones, rubies are very red. The, the, the word that's used for rubies is, is bright red in terms of metal that's forged in fire. You know, like bright red metal that is, that is in, a, in a furnace or a blacksmith is heating metal up and it gets bright red. And that's where the word that's used for rubies comes from. It's this burning hot metal and that process of forging metal and getting it to that temperature, getting it bright red serves two purposes. One is it's refining the metal and clearing out the impurities, but it's also allowing the metal to be shaped and molded um, so that the blacksmith can, can shape it into whatever it needs to be shaped into. And I think there's something really interesting in that in our own lives when we're thinking about building something for the Lord in our souls and making a, a house for him in our hearts is that from, from God's perspective, this idea of refining fire and, and allowing his conviction and him to shape and mold us, he actually sees that not just as something that's defensive, but there is this offensive element to embracing conviction. It's, it's a way that we can actively resist the enemy and the attacks that are coming against us. You see, Conviction, we've talked about it, I think, in, in each of the times that we've gathered all the way through. Conviction is necessary when it comes to surveying the land because it helps us see some of the things that might be there. Conviction is 
Also helpful when it comes to clearing the land because it helps us identify some of the roots or the things that need to be dealt with to turn away. But conviction is also necessary when it comes to possessing the land because it actively resists the enemy. The reality is if we've cleared the land of something, we know that they're going to keep coming back. If we're trying to build something in space that we've cleared out, you know, the temptation, the issue, the struggle, whatever it is, very rarely just disappears and we never see it again. It typically comes back and tries to attack. And so conviction is a way that we can actively resist the attack that comes against us. So we're resisting, but it also begins to shape and equip our life with God. And, and that, both of those things are spoken about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 to 17. And this is speaking about the power of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction, for correction of error and discipline in obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will, in thought, purpose, and action, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. What a powerful couple of verses speaking about how important the word of God is. It brings correction, it brings discipline, but we need the word of God if we're going to be complete and equipped for the work that God has for us. And I love this because that passage from 2 Timothy 3 kind of tells us that conviction and correction are, are, are a part of really growing and maintaining an effective life with God. Right? That we need conviction and correction if we're going to be people who are complete and equipped for every good work. And so, as I said, we know that if we clear the ground, there's going to be attacks that come against us that we need to resist. And one of the main ways we do that is by embracing conviction. That's the, that's the battlement that provides both offense and defense at the same time. We are actively resisting the enemy through embracing conviction. And, and we do want to be people who are committed to conviction. I think I mentioned this two weeks ago that, you know, one of the really dangerous lies that at times you, you see across different parts of, of church community is that conviction is something to be avoided, that it's a bad thing or it's God having a go at us. But actually it's the expression of his loving heart for us so that we would be complete, we would be equipped, we would be able to become who he's calling us to be. And so... My prayer for us is that we would be people who are committed to conviction and open to conviction. That when we open up the word of God, we're not just looking for encouragement or some kind of nice inspirational quote for the day. But actually we're opening up the word of God asking, Lord, I invite your rebuke, your correction, your conviction, your discipline. I want that because I know that that's good for me and helps me to resist the things that are coming against me. And, you know, when you look through scripture, even in the New Testament, so much of Paul's writing was actually him correcting the churches that he was leading. Correction and conviction was a big part of the New Testament as well. And so I want to encourage us that when we're reading scripture, perhaps there's moments where we feel like we might choose to read something that we know is a little bit uncomfortable because it's challenging us and, and convicting us and stretching us. And so Let's be people who open up the word of God and invite his conviction and his correction. Because that's a part of 
going on the offense against the enemy, but also having up our defense, just like those towers and the, and the battlements that are at the top. Because ultimately, if we want to be people who find rest and remain in rest, we need to embrace conviction. You know, we're never going to find rest without conviction because when we embrace conviction, ultimately, that's a way that we resist the enemy. And when we resist the enemy, Scripture says that he must flee. And when he flees, we find rest. And so there's this kind of beautiful cycle of us embracing conviction. And in doing so, we're resisting the enemy. And when we resist him, he flees. And then there's greater amounts of rest that's able to come and dwell in our hearts. So we've got love as the the mortar that binds everything together. A foundation of sapphires, the foundation of just communion with Jesus. And we've got conviction as the the battlements, the active way of, of resisting the attacks that might be coming against us. And then... The next thing that Isaiah 54 says, that God says to the Israelites and how he's going to rebuild the city, is that the gates are to be made of beryl stones. And look, apologies, my my knowledge of precious stones, I'm not exactly sure what a beryl stone is. Um, To me, it sounds more like the name of someone's grandma, right? Beryl stone. (laughs) But we've been talking about you know, keeping the enemy out and how the battlements are a way for us to actively resist enemies that might be attacking us. And then when it comes to gates, I think one of the things that that strikes me is not only do we need to be actively resisting the things that we should be keeping out, but we also need to be people that are growing and discerning around who to let in and letting the right things in at the right time. Because if we're going to be people who are growing in finding rest in our souls and allowing God to take up more and more of a residence in our hearts, then we can't do that alone. We need to be able to, to, to have other people that we're letting through the gates and sharing with. You see, building a house for God in our souls and allowing him to take up more of a, a place in our souls, we need to make sure there's gates because there's going to be times where we need to let people in. Right, let's, let's not be those who make the mistake of, of building something for God to reside in in our hearts. And all we do is build a wall all the way around and, and nothing can ever be let in. If we do that, there'll be times where we actually need supplies of comfort and encouragement from others. And if there's no gates, we won't be able to receive the supply that we need, whether it's comfort, support and encouragement. There, there have to be gates. And then we need to be those that are discerning around who we let in and when we let in. And at what time? And interestingly, the word used for beryl stone there, the, the root word for that means to build or establish. And of course, yes, it's talking about building a physical building. But one of the other translations is actually building up a family in the sense of building up with children. Which I find really interesting because when it comes to rebuilding a house for the Lord in our souls, we need to ask ourselves that question. Who are we building family with? Who are we letting through the gates? Who are, who are those that we're actually opening up to and allowing them to speak and share and, and provide input? Because we're not going to be those that are growing in rest the way that we should if we're isolated enough by ourselves. It's, it's done through community. And we need to make sure that we're letting the right people in at 
the right time. We certainly don't want to be those that are letting everyone in because we'll never be finding rest if we're letting absolutely everything and anyone in all the time. And scripture gives us a number of examples of that. I was reminded of, of this passage in 2 Kings chapter 20, 12 to 13 with, with Hezekiah. Some of you may be familiar with this. And it says, At that time, Barodak Baladan, a son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah listened to and welcomed them and foolishly showed them all his treasure house, the silver and gold and spices and precious oil in his armory and everything that was found in his treasuries. You know, it can be foolish to let everything in or show everything that's inside of you to anyone and everyone. We need to be discerning about that. So who do we let in? What does that look like? What does finding rest in community look like? What does actually, you know, properly managing the gates look like. And of course, this should start with, you know, a spouse or a close friend. um, And we need to have someone who is close to us that we're able to to open up with. But I think at times we we need a a bigger community than just the the one person perhaps that we're living with or the the one best friend that we've had for a number of years. Because again, there's different perspectives, different input. There might be different people in different seasons that we open up and, and allow in to be able to to speak to us. And I think, you know, the, the old way of thinking at times around this was, you know, all of the discipleship and the input kind of had to come from a church leader or, or a church pastor. And, and realistically, I think as we continue to, to move into what we feel like God is calling us to, you know, there isn't one person that's ever going to be able to provide all of the input that, that you need. It has to come through community. And you might learn something from one person and you open up about something else with someone else and they're able to provide some, some wisdom and input. I mean, Jesus himself only had 12 disciples. And to think that there's you know, people out there that whether it's you know, from their perspective or the perspective of others, that they're discipling you know, even 50 people seems far too much when Jesus himself really only poured his life into 12. And so we need to be people who are connecting with others in in smaller community to be able to share and to grow together. And Marg's not here, but she can listen to this on the podcast. In her very wise words, she said this, I don't know, probably 12, 18 months or so ago to me that discipleship is a body ministry. Discipleship is a body ministry and we need different people at different times and we need to be those that are opening our gates up at different times because we will never fully be discipled just in one person and one relationship. It's learning from others as we go. And it happens then through community, through conversation, through different people at different times. And, and sometimes we might feel like it's time to, to open up you know, our gates in a discussion that we're having on a Sunday. There might be something that you feel like you know, we're meant to share and open up with, but not everything needs to be shared in a discussion that we're having on a Sunday either. You know, it might be catching up with someone for lunch afterwards and, and sharing something that's going on. It, it might be, you know, different ways of connecting, having a conversation on the phone during the week, whatever it might be. Um, and maybe it's people within Thrive in some cases, but maybe there's also people outside of this community that are able to encourage you and, and, and support you as well. And so we need to be people who are building with family and community. And and that's what having those gates looks like, being wise around opening the gates at the right time and letting the right people and the right things in to be able to help us have that rest and have that residence for the Lord in our souls. 
And just one thought in case it's helpful, because I think sometimes, you know, just because somebody says they love the Lord doesn't mean we need to pour out our whole heart to them, right? It's, it's being wise around who we share with and what that looks like. And so just a thought in case it's helpful around, you know, what the Bible says in terms of who we should be letting in and who should be caring and, and, and shepherding us. I want us to look at the description of, of elders from Titus and these are people that scripture says are fit to care or shepherd others. And so, you know, people don't need a badge that says they're an elder for you to necessarily share with. Um, but I think this is a helpful little checklist perhaps to go, you know, is this someone that, I, that I'm willing to, to share with and do they meet some of these criteria? Titus chapter one, verses eight to nine. And it says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. There's a few interesting things in there and probably worthwhile just asking ourselves sometimes. You know, do we have someone in our life who is hospitable and loving that we can go to? Do they live a self-controlled, disciplined life? Do they hold firmly to the truth of the gospel? And also, are they actually willing to, to bring something up if we're getting off track? And making sure that we have someone in our life that does that. As I said, it doesn't need to be me. It doesn't need to be Sarah. It doesn't necessarily even need to be someone that's a part of our Thrive community. But we need to have people who are doing those things and speaking into our lives. And it doesn't necessarily need to be one person for 30 years. As I said, we can have different people that speak in to us in different ways, in different seasons, but making sure that we have gates to allow that encouragement, that support, at times perhaps the, the challenge that comes with, with that friendship and that, and that loving support. So we have our, our mortar, the love that binds things together, the foundation of sapphires, the battlements of rubies, the gates of beryl stones, and lastly, as we wrap this thing up, walls of precious stones. That's the last thing that, the last instruction that God gives from Isaiah 54, 11 and 12. And interestingly, the word that's used here for precious stones isn't referring to a specific type of stone. The others, or that's rubies or sapphires or beryl stones, but here it's a general reference to precious stones. And I find this amazing and, and scripture always, you know, it's amazing how things weave together and you begin seeing how this relates to that and this relates to that. This in many ways is, is pointing prophetically to the walls of the new Jerusalem that are described in Revelation 21, right? Isaiah 54, God says, I'll make you walls of precious stones and listen to Revelation 21, 19 to 20, speaking about the wall of the new Jerusalem. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. Not one particular stone, but a variety of stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth chameleon, the seventh chrysolite, really testing my pronunciation of different stone names, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And I find it amazing that the reference from Isaiah 54, rather than one specific stone, it's a general reference to precious stones. And then there's 12 different precious stones that are used as the foundation for the walls of the new Jerusalem as well, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And what this speaks to me is that actually there isn't kind of one stone, one size, one way that fits everybody. 
We each have our own unique relationship with the Lord. We each have our own unique needs and places of protection that we need to find in him. And so when it comes to to building a house for the Lord to take up residence in, in our souls, our walls are built through our own unique relationship with him and our unique needs and making sure that we are building up walls in our unique places of vulnerability, right? We, we all have different things and different temptations that are stronger and harder to resist depending on our personality, our background and, and who we are and making sure that we're taking the time to allow walls to be built in the places that we need the most based on our unique relationship with the Lord. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about around this is perhaps a good way to think about, you know, the walls that we need to make sure we're building is thinking about, you know, last week, perhaps the clearing the land. What are, what are the things that need to be undone to clear the land? And then what's the opposite of that? And that's the wall that we're able to build or that we need to spend time building. So, for example, if we have struggled with rejection or we're struggling with with rejection, then building a wall through meditating in the acceptance that we have in Christ. Whether we've struggled with pride or whatever else it might be, doing things our own way, we can build a wall of humility by spending time prayerfully letting things go with the Lord. And so it's our unique circumstances, our unique places of vulnerability, our unique relationship with the Lord. This isn't a one stone or one size fits all. For some of us, our walls will be built through times of worship. For some of us, our walls will be built through times of prayer. For some of us, our walls will be built through times of study in the Word of God, depending on our unique relationship with Him. For some of us, walls might be built through taking walks through the park, and that's how God builds up places of strength and places of protection for us. For some of us, as I said, it's meditating in God's acceptance and God's love. Some of us, it's learning to actually let go of control and whatever it might be, but our unique circumstances and situations. And so however you connect with God, however God speaks to you, I want to encourage us to do that because it's in those places that the walls are built around the things that we're building in our souls. And as we do that more and more, the walls will grow stronger and stronger and we will find that we're better able to keep out the attacks that are coming against us. We want to protect those healthy places in our soul and they're protected by building up the walls through our own unique relationship with the Lord. And so bringing this together and just a quick recap and then we'll open it up and have a bit of a a conversation just for a few minutes is that there were five specific instructions, almost like Lego instructions, as I said before, that God gave the Israelites That first of all, love is the mortar that binds everything together. We need to make sure that we're growing in our revelation of God's love for us. Then our foundation built with sapphires, built in the intimacy and the communion that we have with Jesus. Wanting to come to him with no agenda other than just wanting to know him more. We embrace conviction, those battlements made of rubies, to resist, actively resist those things that might be coming against us. We need to be people who actually have gates and then are prayerful about who we let in and how we let them in and when we let them in. But making sure that we're not isolating ourselves, but we're actually growing and building together in family. And lastly, building our walls through our own unique relationship with God, focusing on our own unique places of vulnerability and making sure that they are protected.